the hot topic right now throughout the entire industry is personnel. The great resignation has brought on a lot of struggles with retaining current employees and also recruiting new. So on this episode, I connected with Levi Smith, the CEO and president of Franklin Building Supply. This is an organization that employs over 750 people. And we discuss some of the cultural and structural changes they made to their organization a few years ago that have helped insulate them from some of the personnel issues that other businesses and industries are facing right now. I personally took a lot away from this conversation, and I know you'll do the same, as together we are building the future. This is the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, the Lumberjack, Brett Thorne. On this show, we explore topics including construction, building materials, real estate, remodeling, the housing market, industry news, new products and trends, technology, government, everything you need for building the future. How did you get into this industry? You know, because I looked at your background you, since you talked about that in St. Louis. And, you know, I know you spent some time in Texas and I looked at some of the organizations you've been part of and stuff. And, and none of them really related to directly the building materials industry. So oh, kind of walk me through your path to there. So, yeah, I, I in undergrad, uh, I grew up on a cattle ranch uh, outside of Austin, Texas. So kind of did the iconic Texan thing growing up. And, um <laughs> went away to undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis, great opportunity to be up there and studied business and, and philosophy and a little bit of engineering. And then came back to Texas, went to University of Texas School of Law, um, you know, finished that, got, got a law license and all that, uh, but knew when I went to law school that I didn't want to practice law as a career. Um, I was more interested in law school as an education. It teaches you a different way of thinking. I was certainly uh, very interested in the subject matter, but also, um, you know, what a school like University of Texas does in terms of uh, teaching you to what you'd kind of describe as issue spotting, being able to look out into the future as much as you can and to identify what the issues are likely to be whether it's in how you're putting together a will or contract or how you're putting together a piece of legislation, you know, how is this likely to play out? And again, now backing up to, you know, uh, the, the current time, how would we, you know, change something in this contract, this will or this piece of legislation to better navigate uh, the future and how we could, could see this uh, working out. So I think it was helpful in terms of honing that skill set among some others and, uh, after law school, uh, ended up uh, uh, working for a um, uh, going to work for a healthcare company that I led for uh, just under ten years in Austin. We worked with um, uh, other healthcare providers uh, across the the U.S. and so uh, that was a, a great uh, business to be in. Uh, did some you know legal work on the side for some nonprofits while I was doing that. Really focused on law. Started I mean in, on healthcare. Started getting involved in uh, the the startup scene, uh, technology startup scene in in Austin. Some and 
you know, that was, that was really great, you know, sort of, you know, uh, just under 10 year period of really learning to be a leader and honing some skills that at that point were more theory than practice, uh, given, you know, my years in, in school. And uh, so coming out of that, then uh, had an opportunity to take um, a little bit of a break and, and do some consulting and have a little bit more flexibility with my time. But I was interested in getting back to leading a team. Uh, so consulting's uh, fun in some respects because you can kind of drop in and do your thing and then you get right back out. But I actually like dealing with the consequences. I, I, I like dealing with the, the mess of people and the reality of is, you know, how are we going to how are we going to make this happen tomorrow? And so I think for me, what I found is um, I, I have an aptitude, I guess, for, you know, being able to, to uh, vision cast and kind of articulate, you know, what is what are we capable of? What is our true potential? What's our, our, our true north here? And then, you know, the next moment, get down to, well, what are we going to do about it today? What are the practical things we're going to do to help, you know, march towards making that a reality? And so I enjoy sort of oscillating between those two ends of the spectrum. So I was interested in getting back to leading a team. My wife and I, our our kids were young. We have uh, three children. We're at a point where, you know, we're both native Texans. It's no small deal for a native Texan to consider leaving the motherland. And uh, we got to a point though where we we weren't that interested in raising our kids in what was becoming a really big city in Austin. Um, as far as big oh, city, though, yeah. we loved it then, and, and and we still enjoy going back. But Texas has largely become a collection of very large cities, and so we wanted to get to a smaller community. Uh, we wanted to be in a place where the outdoors is more accessible for us. So Texas is uh, 99% privately owned. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there, you know, there's some state parks and there's a couple of national parks there, but outside of parkland, you know, it's privately owned. The idea, which of- is mind-boggling, considering right. how big Texas is. It is, and so that's something surprising to a lot of people that you know mm-hmm. aren't from Texas or maybe haven't visited there much. They just make an assumption that there's a lot of public land available in Texas, and there's yeah, not. next uh, to none. There's none. Uh, again, it's all it's all limited to state parks, and uh, there there's a couple areas that are these really small national forests, but uh, it's it's really state parks, national parks. So anyway. So we were interested in easier access to the outdoors uh, and a a smaller community to raise our kids in. We're also interested in some seasons besides hot and hotter and (laughs) full seasons. And so we really had our eye on Idaho. And then one thing led to another where it got connected with Franklin Building Supply. And what I what I'd say, and this isn't to be uh, dismissive of anybody that spent an entire career in the industry, um, you get to a point where what it what it takes to lead and run a business well doesn't have as much to do with the particular product or service you sell. It has to do with, you know, how you think about creating culture, accountability, uh, how you think about recruiting and retaining people, organizational structure. Those things are more dominant. And so I think, you know, you, you get to a point where that tr- that skill set is very transferable to any any industry because those problems are true in any business or issues or, or needs are the same in any business regardless of what uh, product or service they sell particularly if they get to a certain size and so you know I think coming into to Franklin I've always uh, dabbled on the side had a had a hobby of doing woodworking and metalworking 
uh, from my days of growing up on a ranch. Always enjoyed doing work with my hands. Uh, it's a good, um, you know, sort of transition for me when I come home uh, from work or on the weekends from, you know, obviously doing a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, stuff around my desk and in offices and meetings and stuff. So, um, you know, so I had some exposure to it and some, some personal interest, but for me, it's also really an opportunity to get back to being around and, and having an opportunity to serve and lead a team full of people that do work with their hands for a living. And that's how I grew up. Uh, I grew up on the cattle ranch, working alongside my dad with folks who, you know, work with their hands for a living. And I really have deep admiration and respect um, for that. And I enjoy trying to create an environment day in, day out that is second to none in this business for all of our, you know, 750 plus employee owners. We're 100% employee owned. And, you know, one of the things I keep telling our team is, um, you know, I have a relentless, uh, uh, I relentlessly pursue and have an obsession with creating uh, a culture again, that's second to none and, you know, talk with our customers about how the customer experience. So one of my kind of key tenants is the customer experience will never exceed the employee experience. The customer experience will never exceed the employee experience. Customers like to hear that they're number one. And the trouble is, if they truly are number one, they will never experience the best that the organization has to offer. The best experience has to be felt by the employees and the employees in um, in return and naturally will deliver that same experience. Exactly. To if and they love what they're doing, it's going to show. It's a natural outflow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. our industry is a people industry. I mean, right. we sell a commodity product. I mean, and there's it's a necessity. You got to have a roof over your head. So what we sell is not unique. Somebody else is selling the same thing we're selling. It's about the people, both the internal people that are doing it and then the people that are the customers. And if you take care of the people, everything else is going to take care of itself. Right. Absolutely. And and so I you know, couldn't agree more. It's very much our philosophy. And so it's been fun to come in. And I I would say when I came in, there were aspirations for that to be true of the company, but there was a little bit of a disconnect in terms of how to make that happen day in, day out. And so, again, I think that's kind of uh, a gap I I feel maybe being able to come in and say, okay, we can have these ambitions and this aspiration and vision, but here's what we're going to do tomorrow to take another step towards making that a reality. Because it's one thing to have an aspirational vision, but it's another thing to be able to execute it. So what were some of the biggest things you did, Levi, to, to accomplish that, to create that culture that everybody aspired for prior to you being there? Well, I'd say one of the first things I did that was, you know, uh, fairly disruptive uh, after being here for just a few months and getting a lay of the land and going on, you know, kind of a listening tour and uh, just showing, uh, you know, respect to our people who've been, we have so many folks who've been here for 20, 30 plus years uh, and, you know, who have built, you know, I, I told folks, you know, we're just going to build on, you know, what, what's, what's been built before. This isn't about dismissing what's been uh, created before, but we're standing on the shoulders. We're standing tall on the shoulders of, of people who have, who have come before us and we shouldn't ever lose sight of that. And so reaching new heights is a lot about us being able to stand on the shoulders of those who came before. But within the first few months, one of the key things that uh, we worked through was this this very issue that I just hit on, which was we were an organization that said customers are number one. 
Customers are the most important thing. And employees were somewhere south of that. I mean, really weren't on the list, you know, per se. It was just really clear that what the, the thing that matters is customers and everything else is subservient to that. And so one of the disruptive things that I did a few months in was gathered our core leadership team and said, we're flipping this. We've got this wrong. You've got the math equation wrong. So if employees aren't our focus and employees aren't getting our best and employees aren't first in our minds, the, the, the experience that you want to deliver to customers will never actually happen. It will never actually materialize because you have to understand the customer experience again will never exceed the employee experience. You have to understand the causation. The customer experience you want to deliver will be birthed out of, will flow out of the experience that you're delivering to employees every day. So in a very disruptive way, we just changed the order and said, henceforth, employees are number one. Customers are number two. And I enjoy having that conversation with customers because I want to deliver an exceptional experience to customers that they can't find anywhere else in our market. No question about that. I just enjoy talking to them about how we're actually going to make that happen because most businesses just have an aspiration to deliver an exceptional customer experience. Their employees feel like they're completely subservient to that agenda and don't matter as much and don't get the focus, don't get the attention, don't get the resources. So now all these people you're counting on delivering this number one customer experience, it never materializes. It, sure. One of my favorite examples of this, and this is a really simple example, but I was consulting with the bank uh, during that uh, time period that I described that I was doing some consulting between a healthcare company and, and, and coming to, to Franklin Building Supply. And I was consulting with the bank on, I, I, during my consulting time, focused on leadership and culture. And so we're working through some things with them. And um, one of the things I did was I walked in the bank one day and poked my head behind the tellers, you know, sort of stand, um, you know, which is sort of a perilous move in a bank, right? You're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get shot or handcuffed or something. Here. <laughs> anyway, but I looked behind there. What I wanted to see was kind of what they were seeing as they looked out and interacted with the customer. And what I saw was this, you know, nicely kind of, you know, framed in a little note or whatever. And it said, um, remember to smile, you know, interact with them by their first name and had a couple of things that there's, you know, reminders that they're supposed to do top of mind. And so seeing that when I went into the meeting with the executives, what I asked them was I said, Hey, I poked my, my head behind the, the teller's counter there and, you know, had a couple of things that, you know, clearly want them to keep top of mind as they're interacting with the customer. And, you know, the first was remember to smile. And second was greet them by their first name. So I got one question for you. Every day when you walk into this bank, you're the leader. Do you smile at all your tellers and do you greet them by name? And around the table, it was this head down kind of, uh, I mean, maybe every now and then only my favorite ones, the two people actually know. I mean, that's all the sort of, you know, th th that's what their facial expressions all said, right? And what I told them was, until you actually deliver that experience to the customer, I mean, to, to your employees, that experience will never be felt by the customers. It will always be contrived. It will always be forced. You will always have to police people. 
and try to hold them accountable for delivering this. If you get rid of those little plaques. Exactly. Just do it. Yeah. Lead by example. Just do the very thing with your employees. It's going to flow down. Customers, it will flow out whether you want it to or not. Good or bad, it will happen. And so, you know, that's really where we try to focus our energies is making sure that in big and small ways, our employees are experiencing day in, day out the very things we want our customers to experience. And again, it's not about de-emphasizing the importance of the customer, but it's about understanding causation, understanding how this aspirational experience is actually going to materialize. And it's not going to materialize by coming to work every day and telling our employees, guess what? You don't matter as much. Guess what? There's someone that's much more important than you. That doesn't get the best out of them. We start by saying, you're our most important people. You're where our focus is. And what we expect and what we see is that the outflow of that is an even better experience for the customer, an even more consistent experience for the customer. And it's not one that we have to spend as much time policing, chasing, holding people accountable for, tracking, everything else, because it's just genuine and it's a natural outflow of the environment our employees operate in every day. And it sounds like, you know, to kind of rephrase what you said there, you you kind of built upon the foundation that was already there in the company. Absolutely. You just kind of continued to build up and build out. So what changes did you actually have to make in, in order to change? What were the, I hate to say physical, but what were the actual changes that were made to shift that focus to sure. the employees? So, you know, the example I gave you is an important strategic shift, right? So mm-hmm. everybody in the organization- it's in theory, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they need to know what, what are we, what, what's, what's expected? Um, so I'll give you an example of some things uh, that we, um, you know, or tools that we use. So in a particular department or location, uh, going back to 2016, and we still do this uh, today where we have a need to, is we'll actually map out and, and list. When I say map out, I mean really just in a table, table with two columns. We'll list all of the experiences, all of the attributes, all of the uh, things that we want customers to say of us. Okay, so you know we're easy to work with. We're uh, we do what we say we're going to do. We're fair. Uh, we're honest. We're uh, reliable. We're knowledgeable. You know, you can go down the list, right? There are a bunch of attributes. We say this is what we want customers to say. So one of the things that we ask ourselves is based on what we know today. You know, what percentage of this do we think customers would actually say? And in some cases, we've we've done some research internally or had third parties actually come in and, and help validate that. But what what would they actually say? So we might have 15 attributes and, you know, we kind of say, OK, you know, we, we, we would give this a score of kind of 75 percent, you know, or or C right now. They would say some of these things, but none of them very strongly. And a few of these we don't think hardly any of the customers would mention. And then on the other column, what we do is we say, what is what are the employees in that department, in that location, experiencing every day that will make that desired customer experience actually happen? And it gets really specific when you start to go through that exercise. So why is an employee going to be honest with a customer? What do they experience day in, day out that shows them that this is our expectation and this is their reality? And so this is the reality they're going to deliver to the customer. So what you're looking for as you go through that exercise is you're looking to match up every one of those things. And there will be 
especially if an organization has never done this before, there'll be a lot of gaps. We're like, I have no idea what our employees experience that sort of would lead them to deliver that. We're just wishing on a, you know, we've got a hope and a prayer here. So I'd say a lot of gaps and maybe a lot of pain points, because I bet it'd be hard to admit some of those things of why, what we're not providing to say, yep, we're doing this wrong. And this is exactly what we're doing wrong. I bet that is kind of painful to go through that. Super painful. But I challenge our team. We've got to be our best, you know, and and most constructive critic. We've got to be self-aware enough that we understand where we're doing well and where we're not. And we can't solve problems we don't know about. We can't prioritize things we're not honest about uh, with regard to, you know, where we're strong or where we're falling short as an organization with customers. So that's an example of an exercise where what you're trying to do is actually literally align on a row by row basis, the employee and the customer experience. And so then that becomes an area of focus for that department or their location to either you know, plug that gap where there's no employee experience that they can point to, or it's inadequate. And you're tactically walking through a process and going through a process that, again, is going to get you closer to actually delivering the desired experience to customers. How? Not by putting the desired customer experience on more little placards behind the teller seat yeah. or on the wall. Smile. Right? Yeah. You're delivering it to employees in a tangible way, day in, day out. So they in turn start to deliver it to customers. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really important to match up, you know, when you, you know, have a, a strategy or a vision, uh, again, something that, that, that feels kind of, you know, bigger, more directional for the team with a a tool or a technique that they can see actually helping them get there. Again, like if if, if you and I said, hey, we want to, we want to, you know, get fit and we've got whatever measurements that we want to use for saying we're fit and able to do all the things we want to do, that in and of itself isn't going to get the job done. You and I can have as many, you know, placards mm-hmm. and posters we want up that that talk about what we how we want to look or feel or, you know, whatever those uh, measures are for us. But we've got to boil that down to it means I'm going to exercise four days a week. It means I'm going to do this for 20 minutes. It means I'm not going to eat this. I am going to eat that. And in the same way that people intuitively understand that's how you navigate change um, or effectuate change for your for you know your 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 body, it's the same basic techniques for an organization. Uh, we make it harder than it has to be. Yeah, you find your target, say, this is what we want to be, and then you start backpedaling from there. You backstep it. Say, okay, what do we have to do to get there? Okay, what are the specific steps? Now, what do we need to do? What are the actions that need to be taken then, and when do they need to be taken? And you say, okay, just like with your, okay, this is what I want to be to be fit. This is my desired fitness, whether it's a weight, whether it's a um, strength capabilities. You say, okay, what's it going to take to get there? Okay, here's the steps, okay? These are the actions. That means three days a week at this time, I got to go do this. And, and it's a simple process. You just start to map it all out and say, here's what, here's where I want to be. Here's what it's going to take to get there. And here's the actions that I am going to have to do. Yep. Yeah. And then the execution, which is a lot of times the hardest. A lot of times you'll see people that'll put it together, but then never do the execution or they'll start it. And a lot of times, yeah, I understand, especially when you're trying to achieve things that maybe your steps and your actions need to adjust and modify and shift. But to say, okay, you know what, to be flexible and say, okay, you know, yeah, we started that way. We got veered off and we didn't quite get where we want to be. We're off the mark just a little bit. But if we make these adjustments here to 
or continually be evaluating your progress. And if you're getting there, what adjustments need to be made so that we can get to that goal? Right. No, you know, maintaining flexibility and agility is, you know, critical there. But I think, um, yeah, it's a lot easier to hold people accountable to really specific things that we've agreed we have to execute to end up where we want to be. Where, again, a lot of businesses try to hold people accountable to a destination with little to no accountability along the route. And that's really hard. Um, so what we do is we obsess over the inputs rather than the outputs. The inputs drive the outputs. The outputs are confirmation that the inputs were the right ones, right place, right time. Um, we focus on the inputs. So those inputs of, okay, we, we, need to, we need to actually deliver a different experience to employees here than we have before for customers to you know, have this desired experience. What are we going to do to deliver that experience to employees? Is it one thing? Is it a series of things? Does it build over time? Is it a structural change? And it's much easier to hold the organization and people and leaders, managers accountable to those specific things to execute um, rather than trying to hold them accountable for, we want customers to say that we're honest. That's tough to hold people accountable for. I mean, I, you know, but if we obsess on the inputs that will drive us towards that, uh, you know, reputation, then, you know, you can actually hold them accountable. You can measure that. You can pace that. Um, you know, I'd also say with the inputs, you know, I have um, I have a high level of uh, comfort with, you know, really, um, uh, you know, stuff that you would describe as much more subjective, I think, in business, too. We kind of forget that we're dealing with human beings and we want everything to be measured. We want everything to be, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, objective. Um, and, you know, we, we want it to all fit nicely on a spreadsheet. And, you know, I don't think that's how any of us actually experience working alongside with and interacting with people. It doesn't fit uh, as neatly into that box for economists that are talking about how markets operate. It doesn't fit that neatly in a box for a business that's trying to say, hey, we're going to measure everything. You know, one of my least favorite phrases. Are you saying that people are unpredictable? Uh, they're a little unpredictable. <laughs> um, you know, and they, they, they have complex mm -hmm. motivations sure. and issues and there are things going on outside of work. And, you know, we're not all just, you know, rational beings that we can predict, you know, here's, you know, if, if we do X, you know, people will do Y. So one of my least favorite sayings is, you know, what what gets measured gets done. I'll tell you some of the most important things in life don't get measured and they get done. So I don't know anybody that measures in an objective way on a spreadsheet their effectiveness as a spouse or a parent. It's the one of the most important things you do in life. A relationship with your parents or grandparents or a close friend the things that matter most to us as human beings, we don't measure that much. Somehow in business, we convince ourselves that we're dealing with a completely different paradigm. And if it doesn't measure, if we can't measure it, it won't get done. So I have a high level of comfort with things that can't be measured. You, you know it when you see it. They're subjective. And that's okay because, again, we're dealing with people. So, you know, you and I could take that issue of honesty that I brought up with a customer. That, that's very hard to quantify. I mean, we could do it in a survey and some other things, and we could force someone to answer a binary question, you know, is Franklin Building Supply honest? Yes or no? And we can pat ourselves on the back that we got an 87 point whatever in some survey. 
we're kind of kidding ourselves. That's a subjective, like, do I trust them? You know, are they, are they fair? Um, are they honest in, in this area and that area? So it's not that, you know, I, I think for some folks that may hear me talking about this, they'd be surprised because, you know, I've got as many analytics and data and charts and layers of stuff as anybody. Uh, but I really advocate a both and. In business, you have to remember that you're dealing with a lot of stuff that fits really well on spreadsheets. And then you're dealing with people. And you need to do <laughs> both. And so don't hem yourself in by giving in to this kind of what I view, honestly, as a silly business adage of, you know, if it doesn't get measured, it, you, know, you know, what gets measured gets done. Or if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done. You're hemming yourself into this spreadsheet business model. People are complex. Employees are complex. Customers are complex. And if you want to be successful in leading employees, if you want to be successful in acquiring and retaining customers, you have to remember that you're dealing with a human being. You don't ignore the spreadsheet. Again, it's a both and, but don't hem yourself in. Um, you know, and, and I think you know, there's a lot of attention that needs to be paid to stuff that's more qualitative in nature and business than quantitative. But business, just the environment itself tends to put an overemphasis on uh, the quantitative and sort of you know, pretend that that's 95%, if not 100% of the ball game. And I think anybody's experience in interacting with humans knows that's not true. Yeah. And, you know, so again, it's both a false dichotomy. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, and, and well, I think that goes back to just your vision in general that the people, and I'm talking about your employees specifically, are number one, not your bottom line, not your sales. It's the employees. That's what's number one. The results are the bottom line. The results are the sales because you treat your people so well. And because in return, like you said, that that flows through to the customer experience and that flows through to the business that flows through to the financials because you have picked your starting point and said, this is our focus and everything else is going to be relative to how we start start with our employees. Yeah, it's not counter to, to performing well as a business. I actually think it's the absolute best best path to, you know, uh, to, to, you know, reaching your performance potential. Um, it's just looking at it more holistically, you know, with that both end and not giving into the false dichotomy and stuff where you're saying, okay, um, as a business leader, are you okay getting into the mess of humanity? And, and I agree with myself that. We're all, we, all, we all have issues. We all do weird things. We all, you know, aren't as rational as we think we are. We all have, you know, uh, different motivations. That's okay. Why, why don't we get together in an office and pretend that that's not true anymore? It's absolutely yeah. true. So uh, if you can have a high comfort level with that and, you know, and, and again, take a both and approach, then I think, you know, as you focus on these inputs, you focus on, you know, creating and delivering and we're, we're still, we've still got room to go. We've not arrived, but you know, as we try to deliver an exceptional employee experience and, and take the both and approach and focus on the inputs, um, you know, I absolutely believe um, with, with every fiber of my being, uh, it is, um, you know, the best strategy uh, for um, succeeding, certainly over the long term. And um, we're, we're in a business that doesn't aspire to be around for years. We're a business that's you know, more than 45 years in now, and, and, and we're looking forward to the next 45. So, you know, when, when you have a decade mentality, 
I, I think, you know, you're saying, okay, what's going to produce the best results over the long term? We're playing the long game. And, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're excited about that. And I enjoy that work day in, day out, being able to, um, you know, to help serve and lead the team um, in that endeavor. So, you know, that's, um, that, that's a, that's a, uh, a, a fun, um, a fun task. So you're employee owned. How long have you been employee owned? So we became employee owned in, uh, 2015. We really rolled it out to the organization in 2016. So, uh, we, we've, we've been at this for, um, you know, uh, six years now really. And, you know, we're continuing to mature as an employee owned company. We're hundred percent um, it's been an absolute difference maker, I think, during the, the pandemic in terms of people making decisions about where they're going to stay or where they're interested in working because they see, you know, better long term potential, especially with a lot of the, you know, employees that, um, you know, that we're going after and we're attracting that, you know, this may be their first job or, um, you know, um, they're they're looking at the service industry or some other things as, as opportunities, comparing them um, against what they can do at Franklin Building Supply. Uh, but we're seeing it more and more uh, be a difference maker in how uh, we attract and retain people, how they perform day in, day out. And ultimately, it's about, you know, building wealth for them long term. What I tell our employees is we're now in a spot where being 100 percent employee owned, there are only three buckets each year. We're trying to figure out how to how to fill up and in what proportion. And the employees are the sole beneficiaries of every one of the buckets. We either figure out how we can pay people uh, better, uh, you know, relative to market. We put more money into, you know, the retirement vehicle of, of an ESOP, employee stock ownership mm -hmm. plan, or we reinvest in the facilities, in the tools, the, re, you know, the, the uh, equipment that they use every day. Those are the only places that it can go. There, there's, there's, there's no fourth bucket even available. So yeah. they're the sole beneficiaries in one of those three areas of the work that they do day in, day out, they earn their ownership. They don't buy their ownership. They earn it over time. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, it's something that is a, a huge advantage for any company that is employee owned. And I certainly advocate even for companies that aren't like including employees in some form of, you know, equity share, I think is so important um, and, and is the right thing to do, not just for those individuals, but for the business. It makes better businesses across the U.S. today. We're under just under 50 percent of businesses have some form of equity share. So, you know, you know, outside of like employee ownership, another example would be a 401k model with matching. Right. That that's a form of, you know, building up wealth for somebody where they're not just making money by, you know, working another hour. The money's starting to work for them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a, uh, I think something that's so critical for businesses that are trying to figure out how to, uh, perform better. And I think, uh, also, you know, really do the right thing by their employees. And I would have to think that would, that had to have been a very large component of that vision change that employees are number one. Absolutely. It, it certainly, uh, was very synergistic. Uh, so it, you know, uh, it made all the sense in the world as we were, you know, essentially hanging up the under new ownership banner, uh, transitioning from some some private owners to. Uh, oh, that's fun. Under new ownership, employee right. ownership. That's yeah, awesome. It's kind of like, you know, in, in some ways, you know, when I came is kind of the under new ownership, under new management kind of banner. And that that was a good posture for us to be able to say, OK, what do we need to change? 
Uh, again, what, what are we going to do to build on this? You know, when I came on board, we just celebrated 40 years uh, or we're celebrating 40 years. So, you know, it was, hey, we've got this rich uh, history of 40 years that, the, the, you know, that uh, is, is, is such a, a blessing for us to be able to build on. How do we go from being a really good organization to being an exceptional organization? Um, and, and so, you know, that's really been the journey that we've, we've been on and being employee owned has been a critical piece of that. I believe the culture is, uh, the most important thing to get right. Um, and it boils down to what you accept and what you expect. What do you accept and what do you expect? And your culture is going to drive everything else. And again, in business, I think a lot more business leaders and managers are comfortable trying to solve business problems in a spreadsheet. Yeah. And culture's hard because you know it when you see it. It's a lot harder to measure. Um, it's qualitative in nature than quantitative, right? So, um, but I think it's the most critical piece. And we all know what culture looks like. We're all part of you know communities and families. Uh, we all know what's accepted and expected in those communities. So, what's your culture in an organization? But that culture will drive, you know, where the organization goes, how fast, what direction, with 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 what resistance. Um, it will be the dominant force, and you can throw all kinds of other things at it, um, but you know, it's um, it's the dominant force. Um, and you know, if you don't get that right, and you're not really attentive to that as a leader then I think you're ignoring the thing that matters most. And you can look at, you know, I think sports teams are an e easy example and maybe sports, uh, you know, are an overused, um, you know, sort of metaphor on business, but I think it's something that everybody can relate to. So they have their place. And when you look at, you know, one sports team versus the other, and you look at the resources they have, dollars, you look at the facilities, you look at the quality and caliber of players in terms of the stat sheet, we can look at a team and say, they should be winning. They should be, you know, hoisting the trophy at the end of the season or every year. And, you know, by and large, when you look at the pattern of sports, whether you're talking about, you know, in grade school or collegiate, or you're talking about, you know, at the professional level, the environment and the culture is the difference maker. And whether that team actually wants to play for one another, uh, whether they have the character to persevere and overcome whatever adversity that they um, face, whether they're um, you know, uh, humble enough to ride the bench when they need to and let somebody uh, that's performing better than they are take the field. All of these things are about culture and it's the difference maker. Um, and, you know, it's no different in business. And, you know, you can't you can't execute a great business without a great culture. Yeah, well said. You're spot on. You know, and I, I want to be respectful of your time, Levi. I know you got stuff to do. Um, uh, the the ironic thing here, and this is not necessarily on our conversation, but more on the physical being, um, and I'll make a small assumption here. You're sitting there in Boise, Idaho, and that picture right behind you looks like Bush Stadium from St. Louis, it Missouri. Is. Am I right? St. Louis. Okay. So I'm sitting here in Missouri, and that picture right there, that's the Salmon River out of Stanley, Idaho. There you go. In Missouri, Idaho's behind me. You're in Idaho. Missouri's behind you. You got to love the irony of that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Now, when I fell in love with baseball, and, and we'll have to go for this, and we can uh, continue a conversation at, at another time, I'd love to. But, yes. um, you know, I was uh, there um, when, you know, you had the, the home run chase and setting aside the uh, – the, the, the steroids era yeah. was so fun. 
And so at that game, um, when McGuire broke the record and doing it with the Cubs and Sosa coming in from the outfield to congratulate him. And um, anyway, that was, that was uh, just a, a, an exceptional uh, moment to, to be monumental life to event right there. Yeah, so, and, and my wife wasn't too interested in hanging in her house. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. Levi. Hey, it's been great. Let's reconnect, man. I, I love this conversation. I think we can go a lot further with this, a lot deeper with this. So we'll reconnect soon. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you for your uh, time and, and look forward to uh, picking up the conversation again in the future. This is the building the future podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please like and share. You can find out more at our website, www.buildingthefuturepodcast.com. Together we are building the future.